The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Right now on Fast, the Fed telling the market it sees higher rates sticking around for some time and warned against what it calls premature loosening. The news taking quite a bit of steam out of the rallying market today. Do investors need to prepare for much of the same kind of market in 2023? Plus, bullish on the banks, top analyst Mike Mayo here to tell us why he thinks one of the financials he follows could jump more than 50% this year. His banking buy minutes away. And later, Meta's winter melt-up, Microsoft's major meltdown, and mining for gains in gold. I'm Sarah Eisen, in for Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live tonight from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk with me, we have Bono and Eisen, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Guy Adami also joins us. We'll start with the market's post-Fed minutes roller coaster. Stocks giving, giving up much of their early gains after the central bank's latest signal that more rate hikes are coming. All three indexes briefly falling into the red mid-afternoon. Markets did manage to finish the day with gains, though well off their highs of the session. The Dow, up as much as 272 points, ended just 133 points higher and just a little rally there into the close. Minutes from the Fed's latest meeting showing officials are committed to keeping rates higher until there's more significant progress in bringing down inflation. After the release, futures markets stopped pricing in a rate cut before the end of the year. So should markets be bracing for another New normal on rates, Guy, it was pretty clear messaging from the Fed today. Sarah Eisen, wonderful to be with you, although not <laughs> in the you. presence of you there at the NASDAQ. But no, absolutely. And they've been, listen, I do not like the Federal Reserve. I think people that watch the show know that. I'm sure you're aware of it as well. But I'll tell you, I think they've done an excellent job of messaging over the last six to nine months. So good for them. For whatever reason, the market doesn't necessarily want to listen. But the most interesting thing for me today was Neil Kashkari, who was as wrong as anybody a year or so ago, has become gone from the biggest dove to the biggest hawk, which is interesting. If you had told me that yesterday, I'd said, you know what, the market's going to sell off in a meaningful way. That didn't happen. So I take some encouragement from that. But to your point, this new normal of higher for longer is not being fully priced in in the equity markets, I believe. Yeah, he expects Kashkari, who's a Minneapolis Fed president and becomes a voting member this year, 100 more basis points of tightening this year, which is probably on the high end of everything. So does that mean that the, that the stock market is not a safe place right now? Well, I'm not sure. What, I mean, that would be if we knew right now for sure 100 more basis points of tightening. And then what, though? But I think it would be a negative if we heard that. He, I don't know that he was he the outlier when they did. Yeah, he's yeah. a little bit of an so outlier. So he's the outlier. So I, I'm not expecting that. But I am not expecting any kind of easing um, in the near term at all. I think that we don't have enough data to support that yet. I know, uh, you know, we haven't seen some of the lag effects. We hear a lot about that. And actually, the economy is slowing quicker than we think and inflation is lower than we think. But it's still there. So I think that uh, for a while, we've got to get this is the new normal of rates. And we're just used to this. What we think of as normal was never normal. That was ridiculous. Free money for a long time. So what does that mean for the market now, Bonwin? Because a lot of it has been priced in, hasn't it? 
Uh, I would argue there's still quite a bit to, left to be priced in. I mean, you look at Fed, Fed fund futures, they've continued to fight that all the way up. Along the entire way, they have just been the petulant child saying, we refuse to go. If you take a look at the VIX, it's still at a subdued level. I, I would say the outlier right now is gold. You're starting to see strength in there and in the miners, which kind of s- speaks to people's uh, you know, search for safety. If you look at yields, I, you know, I, you know we, we mentioned it earlier, when you can get 4 4.5%, 5% risk-free, and dividend yields aren't looking quite as attractive. What is the risk reward for entering a market with this unknown here? So I think there is still some things left to be priced in. I think the market will get constructive at some point, um, but I don't think that people that are calling for a, a new bottom or a retesting of the lows uh, from last October are, are out over their skis at, at all by any stretch of the imagination. A lot of negativity. I don't expect you to be <laughs> any different. Right, why do you have to look at me like that, Sarah? No, great to have you here, Sarah. Thank no, you. So Fine. here's the thing. I mean, I, I guess it's funny. Like, we keep hearing this, what's priced in right now, right? And so a lot of us on this desk, and you'd say that, you know, we haven't been negative. We've been cautious because what we see from past cycles here is that the stock market has not really discounted, I think, the differential between where rates are. If you look at, you know, kind of what expectations are for that terminal rate, like you just talked about, I mean, Kashkari being the outlier now, on the hawkish side. He was the outlier on the dovish side, you know, a couple years ago. I think you can kind of take his opinion out. I just don't think it's going to be, you know, he is going to be a voting member. But if you look at what just kind of happened today, I mean, the stock market, you know, really didn't want to rally. If you look at how it rallied towards the end of the day after the minutes, I mean, that seemed a bit manufactured. And especially on a day where you saw crude oil get pummeled. I disagree. You saw yields get... Dan, if the Fed told you a few months ago that financial conditions are too loose and we're worried about it and nobody on the committee expects a rate cut this year, the market would have sold off so hard. The market held up. Yield stayed lower and the dollar stayed weaker through that. If that happened months ago, what would happen to this market? Well, but here's the thing. It's the second day of the year. We know how flows go. We know how the market acted over the last couple of weeks. I think the cocktail for stocks today was pretty good. Crude oil down 3.5%. Yields that were 3.9% just a few trading days ago on the 10-year, you know, trading at 3.65. The U.S. dollar index down a little bit. Those are all good things on like a near-term basis. So, again, I think the reaction that you had after the minutes is probably the reaction that we see turn into a trend as we get closer towards Q4 earnings. Because again, the stock market is going to trade on a couple things, S&P earnings and on yields, right? And so to your point about the outlier view of where the Fed funds is going to be at some point, if you start seeing S&P earnings numbers come down meaningful below $200, okay, for this year, 2023, and then you have this staunch view that the Fed's going to stick it out, that's just not great for stocks. At the lows, the S&P last Last year was down 27% from its all-time highs that it made in the first week of that year, a year ago. So, again, I I just think that we're going to probably be down testing those October lows at some point in the next couple of months. So you can say day-to-day what what you think the reaction is or whatever to some Fed, you know, speaker. It doesn't matter. We're going lower. Is it a Fed call or is it a guy earnings and recession call? Because that's really the story this year, right? Last year it was about Fed hikes and inflation. A lot of people think this year it's going to be about the slowdown and the impact of all that. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. By the way, you know, I don't think we deal in negativity or positivity. <laughs> I think we deal in another word ending in ITY. That's reality. Nice job mm. by G Swizzle there. <laughs> all the I negative bearish people just that. say that they're realists. No, well, you know, <laughs> fair enough. I think, you know, and I, but, but to a certain extent, there's a, there's a truth to that. And I understand that for 99% of the people out there, they want to see the market go higher. So there's this hope 
that things will continue. And they feel good when you say things that are positive. But again, you know, you're trying to, I think, uh, have a narrative of truth and honesty and our opinions. And, you know, for quite some time, we voiced this opinion. With that said, I'm not, I'm not an economist, so I won't talk about recession or not. But I, what I do think we have a problem with are earnings, to Dan's point. So I think we all pretty much understand where the Fed is coming from. Good for them. But now you have to ask yourself, what's the right number for S&P earnings? And it's probably either side of 200. And again, what's the right multiple in this environment? And it's probably not 18. It's probably closer to 16, 17. And that gets us to the levels that we've talked about for some, some time. By the way, David Tepper, a week and a half, two weeks ago, said pretty much exactly that. Yeah. The, the earnings risk is there. And a lot of people think, Karen, that the, the estimates haven't come down enough in the sectors and the stocks that you follow what does it look like it's a mix because some of them they they have come down a lot right i mean you and i look at retail both those multiples i mean they have hardly bounced at all and so i think you know we always talk about the market as a monolith but it isn't there are some that are super high flyers you know we have some some uh tech stocks that came in a lot but are still really expensive multiples are really high and then I think there's some retail stuff that is really low. And I think if the Fed stays longer, you know, higher for longer, then that's where I want to be. And I know we'll get to Mike Mayo later, but a bank, the bank sector is also one that they've I been doing be. well. They outperforming today and yesterday on the market. Let's go deeper dive into bonds with all this Fed talk and what we saw today. CNBC's on-air editor Rick Santelli joins us live from Chicago in the CME. Rick, what did you make of the action? You know, I, I just find it very interesting that as you look at a chart of 10-year note yields, uh, we're going to close, we did close, at the lowest yield since December 23rd. Now, granted, that wasn't all that long ago, but as you look at that chart, you can see that we peaked right around the four and a quarter area in November, and it was what, November 7th, 422. It was in September we had four and a quarter. The point is, the Fed doesn't like the markets easing financial conditions. You've both been discussing this. We don't like misperceptions. The problem I have is, who exactly has the misperception with the Fed? You know, they're worried about easing of financial conditions since November. Why? Because many are worried that they're going to go too far. Or they're not paying attention to all the issues of the day, whether it's energy prices, rents, used car prices, supply chain issues, they're all moving in the right direction. I understand services may be where the inflation's going to show up and the jobs market might be too strong, but we're only two or three revisions away from a job market that might not be as strong and the Fed's putting all their eggs in one labor basket and I think that's probably a mistake. So to summarize, the Fed's got a tough job to do, but I think they're not giving adequate knowledge to the other side of the equation. And that is investors also understand that the Fed most likely is going to take its job too seriously, go too far and stay too high for too long. And that's why financial conditions are easing. It's a matter of a failure to communicate. What about on the cutting question, Rick? Would you take it that far? Because I thought it was interesting that they made a point saying none of the committee members expect us to be cutting rates in 23 when going into the meeting the market was expecting it. Listen, I'm not sure if the Fed's going to come back and ease in 2023 or not. But one thing I am positive about, they have no idea how the economy is going to look in the third quarter of this year. Nobody does, really. Nobody has been very good at forecasting since COVID hit and even worse since COVID has receded. So in the final analysis, 
I would say that the chances of the Fed going too far and have to reverse policy are high. I would say 60 to 65 percent chance. But that might be much later in the year, and maybe they'll hang pat at whatever terminal rate they have and try to postpone that as long as possible into 2024. But guess what, Sarah? If they do that, the market will get the job done for them. Do you think mm. the curve's inverted now? Just wait. Rick, nice, cool hand Luke reference. Well done by you. And I will tell you, none of these Fed officials can hold a candle to Paul Newman. But what I will say is I think they study history. And in 72, they thought they had tamed and beaten inflation only to have it come raging back in 73. I think they're concerned exactly that will happen if they don't keep their foot on the gas. Thoughts? Uh, you know what? I, I don't disagree with you. The problem is the world in 72 is a world far different than the world we live in. China was just a distant thought on the horizon. No, not buying that anything that happened with regard to the domestic economy in 72 is going to be an adequate comp for the global economy in 2023. And believe me, it isn't only the U.S. that's going to get a back loop to the Fed that they've gone too far. It's going to be the entire globe because even though energy prices are down in the U.S., the energy problem has certainly not gone away, and it's going to be thorn in the side of the global economy for many years. Rick Santelli, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Bonwin, just want to get your thoughts. If, if stocks are a risky place to be because of what the Fed's doing and you're worried about earnings risk and recession, what about bonds? Because bonds have been stronger, unlike last year. They have been, and default rates still are pretty low versus history. So I think they make for a pretty compelling argument. If you take a look at the two-year or even six-month, you can kind of make a ladder there. Or if you want to look forward to something like AGG, which gives you kind of a mix of investment-grade vehicles, I really think it makes for you know, a pretty compelling uh, investment thesis. At least, essentially, you've had none of your money in bonds up for, the, for the entirety of two years. I think at least you know, 20, somewhere between 50 and 30 percent allocation starts to make sense, like, given the yields and returns that you're, that you're Wait, offering. Wait, tw 20, what did you say, Six, what, did, what is the allocation? It's not 60-40 anymore. No, no, no. You don't go from zero to 40 percent <laughs> oh, overnight. You be what I'm saying zero. is starting to create a Move step in. function that moves you towards that 60, 40, 30, 70 type of portfolio makes sense here. Lot, uh, big money is moving into bonds and out of stocks this year, right? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I last year bought my first treasury ever, one year treasury at foreign change. Um, but it's interesting, you know, this inverted yield curve. What is that saying about inflation and when will we get there? Right. I do think there's now we have positive rates at least there on the 10 year, but which I know the Fed wanted to get to positive rates. We're not there yet on the, you know, close in. Um, so, but I had a little bit of money in, in, in uh, to one year treasuries, but I'm always long. I'm always long. I feel like that's the mandate. I've got to look for things to be long. And so I'm looking for those, like I said, lower PEs. Valuations on retail. Mm -hmm. When we come back, lights, camera, rally. How about the media stocks marching higher to start the new year? Will the rally keep rolling? More details ahead. But first, a tough day in the cloud. Look at Microsoft dropping after an analyst warning of weakness in some of the core cloud products. Those trades when Fast Money returns. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. 
Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Salesforce announcing it will cut up to 10% of its workforce. CEO Mark Benioff saying the company added too many employees as demand surged during the pandemic. Investors cheering the budget cutting. CRM up over 3.5% today. Second best performance in the Dow. Bonoan, you like that? Yeah, I it's think always they, perverse when Wall Street cheers layoffs, but uh, so here we are. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. No, I'm not rooting for the layoffs, right, but from the, from the lens of looking at whether or not it's accretive for the company, they're going to be charged about $1.5 billion in terms of charges related to laying off. And I think that's r- roughly going to be their cost savings per annum as a result of the move. So it's immediately accretive. I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and, and the stock here, it's it's EV to sales, e, you know, enterprise value uh, to EBITDA. If it's, it's price to book, everything is essentially has been slashed by half since 2021-2022. So, you know, I think it starts to make uh, for a compelling buy down here. Brent Thill was on with us of Jeffrey saying that the sentiment on CRM is so negative. Yes. And I mean, are you surprised it didn't rally more? Benioff back, steer on the hands on the steering wheel, Brett Taylor out and making these But that's not what they wanted it to be, though, right? So I don't know if that... uh, Dan always talks about, you know, how many seats there are that are going to need... CRM products, right? And that has to be going down. So just, I mean, they're sort of a good example of it themselves, right? They're laying off 10% of their staff. And and I think for all of these big tech companies, growth was the only thing to go after. Money was free. Spend whatever you want. And now that's no longer the case anymore. So we're going to see this writ large. We've already started with uh, Microsoft is slowing, Alphabet also slowing hiring or even uh, cutting some. And then, of course, Meta cutting 11,000 jobs. I think that's very good for the space because the growth isn't there, but you can still grow your earnings when you can slash your expenses. So preserve the margins. Right. I think that was what they were trying to do today. You mentioned Microsoft. Microsoft moving in the other direction after a pretty bearish note today from UBS. Analysts there downgrading the stock to neutral, citing decelerating demand in both its Azure cloud platform and Office 365 software. The stock having its worst day since October. Guy, this one outperformed last year. I mean, it still had a rough year, but it outperformed Amazon. Yeah, it, uh, well, most things, I mean, I outperformed Amazon and I'm 59 <laughs> years old. But with that said, I mean, Microsoft, even with the sell off today, is still an expensive stock. And, you know, I don't think it's, a, listen, it's a great company. I would submit it's one of the three most important companies in the world, but it doesn't mean it's not expensive. And even at these levels, it is probably trading either side of 25 times next year's earnings, declining. And, you know, they, it's just a matter of time before they start to talk about 
demand destruction. And when that happens, you'll find a tradable bottom. But I don't think we're there yet, despite the outside move to the downside today. It's so hard, Dan, to figure out what, how much demand is weakening for these IT services and spend when the COVID hangover is still a real thing. Capacity expanded so much. Demand expanded so much during COVID. It feels like there's a lot of give back and, and it's hard to tell what the actual macro signal is. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I think the trend for this secular shift towards the cloud, whether it be the public cloud or whether it be, you know, um, some of these software as a service, or it's, it's upper, you know, bottom left to the upper right. I mean, that, that's it. So we overshot, you know, during that. We're going to come back to the trend for some of these guys like Salesforce, like Microsoft. And I just think the Microsoft thing is really, interesting today. At its lows today was down nearly 6%. This is a $1.7 trillion market cap company. And the fact that it's there on a downgrade from UBS, this might be a very good analyst. He might be very influential, but we all, we've been on this desk for a long time. We talk about upgrades. We talk about downgrades. They generally don't move big stocks in a meaningful way. And, you know, to me, what's interesting, the signaling of this is that going into today, I think there was like 55, there's per fact set, 55 analysts who rate this stock and, and 51 of them had buy ratings on them. You don't I mean, so to see a stock down like this on a day where the Nasdaq is green, where the S&P is green, this much is pretty astounding to me. But to talk about the deceleration in Azure and then Office 365, these are real things and they're not one quarter things. And we're going to continue to see some of these companies that were late to cut like Salesforce. They're going to actually have to keep doing this, whether it's death by a thousand cuts or they make some big chops at it. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Amazon and Coinbase and you know some of these other guys, Meta, who made some of these cuts, these big cuts that we thought were big come back and do them again if the economy does continue to weaken over the course of this year. So to me, I, I, this is a note. Guy says this all the time. Book mode, bookmark this, this move in Microsoft today because this may be the start of something as we get into Q4 earnings at the end of this but month. But none of you are touching these cloud stocks. You don't think it's already reflected well, in I the have stocks? Well, I have. I mean, I have, you know, Alphabet is big position, right? So um, embedded in there, right? And then um, I have some Amazon, so obviously that's, that's as well. But I think that, that I, that I I'm, guess I, I don't want to be in some of the, what happens to other companies that supply these companies, right? To me, you know, it's the, I'm looking for the tail, not the dog so much, because I feel like that effect will be even greater. Hmm. Data centers. Right, and they've, and they've also been hit really hard already last True. year. All right, there's still a lot more to come on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. 50% rally from here. One top analyst says you should bank on this financial stock. We'll reveal the name ahead. Believe it or not, pitches and catches are set to report in little over a month. But we've got all the action for you right here. Your triple play trades on Meta, Miners, and Marketplaces ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Media stocks starting the new year with a strong rally. Warner Brothers, Discovery, and 
Paramount Global among the top S&P 500 gainers today. Gains of more than 8%. Netflix and Walt Disney also posting big gains. And our parent company, Comcast, up nearly 3%. Still, this group mostly has a long way to recover from where they were even just a month ago. Dan, is it sort of just like by the losers into the new year? Is that why? The rally? A little bit. I mean, they got hit so hard right. late last year when you think about it. And, and again, like, is there going to be some strategic M&A at some point? Probably. Maybe that's why a Paramount, it, you know, is rallying the way it is. I mean, we talked about Disney a little bit last week. It seems consensus that everyone wants to get behind Bob Iger and he's the turnaround guy. And I'm there. Like, I get that. But like, I hate that it's consensus. But the stock acts really bad. It's had a good couple of days here. Um, but, you know, I, I think you probably take a poke at some of these names. And again, I think the debt issues are a, a big one. And a lot of the M&A over the last few years was fueled by debt. And so in this interest rate environment, maybe that's something to get a bit more bearish on some of these names. But they were beaten up so hard here. So again, I probably lean towards Disney. I still think Disney probably takes a run at that pandemic low near 80, the low 80s or so, which is not so far away. It's 91 bucks, but I don't know. But if you're worried about recession and earnings risk and the advertising market, which is highly cyclical... Yep. Is, that a, is that a problem, or do you think it's already reflected? Yeah. Well, I think the parks had done well, so if you think that the recession would hit the parks, right? I don't For own Disney. Disney. Yeah. I, I find it's expensive. It deserves a premium multiple, but it has a premium. They, too, they have debt. Um, Paramount has debt. And if you look at you know, Warner Brothers Discovery, boy, do they have debt. I mean, that, that is a, not a delightful balance sheet. But I think I didn't see any particular reason why this whole group was up today. There was no legislation, no anything. I think it was just they just got annihilated, as Dan said. So this very nice move in Paramount uh, uh, takes them back to two weeks ago. <laughs> so uh, long way to go. Yeah, I'm long. It's you know that was just a terrible trade last year. It's off to a better start, but um, I do think consolidation in the industry is is on the horizon. What about Netflix in particular, guy? These are trades. And as Tom Petty said, even the losers, Sarah, get lucky sometimes, I should know. <laughs> they report on January 19th. And, you know, we've done a decent job with this. And 340 is the level we should trade up to. If you go back and look in April, the, the last crater down from 340 to 180 happened in the middle of April. So I think that will be the level we stall at. And it'll probably happen in earnings. So if you have the temerity, a word that I absolutely adore, to trade the stock from the long side, I think you do it for the next couple of weeks into their earnings release. What about you, Bonwin? You know what? I don't think this was specific to media co- media stocks or media companies at all. I mean, take a look at Tesla. It was down like, what, 15 16% yesterday and was up about 6 or 7% today. So I really w- think what you saw was much more of like a risk-on rally. And that may speak to maybe the point that you made earlier, which is that, you know, fund managers are underinvested. And so when you get these knee-jerk reactions where you start to see, you know, stocks outperform and you're under-owned, we, we talk about the step function from zero to what might be, you know, 30 or 40 percent along the way on bonds. And it's the same type of situation with stocks when you're in cash and when you're being compensated very handsomely to be there. You have to chase performance at some time. And I I just think that the, the, the risk is that we get out in front of ourselves and get overexposed and then you know, you're in a situation where you see the VIX spike because you have to uh, get positioned to um, to be protected so on the downside. Chasing going on. Little one. So you asked yeah. the question before. You said, <laughs> "Is it risky to be in stocks?" You said you asked that a bottom And I think this is like a really good question here because you're kind of new to our program here and everything okay. like that. You Are know? you going to play and, a game? And, no, but I mean, the show's called Fast. The, no, the show's called Fast Money. Would up you here. rather? No, no, well, yeah. no, okay. oh, no, no. But <laughs> but sometimes it really is a matter of time <clears> right? So when you think about like um, again, are stocks risky here in a environment where rates where they are? 
are, you know, more so than they were a couple years ago, no doubt about it. But depending upon your time horizon, for some of these great names, like a Disney, you know what I mean, that literally has been more than cut in half, if you start dollar cost averaging and you have a positive thesis relative to what this new management might do, the streaming after it's been kind of totally discounted, um, after what the parks might do a year after the recession, all those sorts of things, then you start dollar cost averaging. And is that risky? Well, you got to put money somewhere. You know, maybe you don't buy treasuries. You know what I mean? Like, I, so I guess my point is risk is just a matter of time, in my opinion. You know, near term, if you think that we're going to go back to the October lows of the S&P 500, then stocks are risky right here. If you don't have a longer term time horizon, this is cash that you need to pay rent or that you need to pay tuition or whatever the heck it is. So um, I just wanted to clarify that. because. So, so, so the question should have been, are, is it risky? Are they risky over... Stocks are risky. I mean, listen, I've been in the business for 25 years. I've seen a lot go to zero. I've seen a lot get cut in half and never really, you know, recover, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, stocks are risky. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people invest in mutual funds and ETFs and that sort of thing. I think if you're watching the show, you like the action of the stocks and you like the stories, you like the products, you like the people, you like the commentary, you know, so that's my take. There you go. I think it's a great point. I've done this show before, you know. I know. This is like <laughs> more than. You're busy. Yeah, I mean, you got the thing in the NYC. <laughs> when we come back, one top analyst making a bold call on a big bank. He predicts a 50% rally ahead. We'll be joined by Mike Mayo of Wells Fargo Securities to reveal the name. And Alibaba popping today. We'll break down the options action and the rest of the China trade straight ahead. Fast Money will be right back. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on the markets today. Stocks managing to snap a two-day losing streak, though it was a touch-and-go kind of market after the Fed minutes. The Dow grabbing 133 points at the end. S&P and Nasdaq up almost 1% apiece. The cruise stocks among the day's big leaders, Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, all floating higher. The moves after Carnival announced that it is raising prices as sales begin on April 1st. Investors taking that as a good thing. Oil prices, meanwhile, seeing their biggest one-day decline since September on weaker global demand expectations. Look at crude dropping more than 5%, settling at $72.84 a barrel. It's down five out of the past six trading days. Even with that drop, energy stocks managed to close higher on the day. And then there's shares of the banks. Bank of America getting a boost after Wells Fargo, naming it its top bank pick, upping estimates for 2023. The firm forecasting B of A stock will surge 55% over the next 12 months. U.S. Bancor and PNC Financial getting crowned runners-up. Their shares having a winning day as well. Mike Mayo is behind that bullish call. He's Institutional Investor's number one large-cap bank analyst for the past three years. Welcome, Mike. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. So why why the big bullish call on Bank of America? Well, Bank of America is a microcosm of the broader banking industry, and it's really simple. I mean, it's earnings equal revenues minus expenses minus credit credit costs. And Bank of America's revenues are getting such a boost from these higher interest rates, three times more of a boost from higher interest rates than the average bank. There's a 20% earnings tailwind that started in the third quarter that's about to flow through. And people are saying, I'm not sure they're going to get that tailwind. The bear case is remarkably uh, Wrong. off. <laughs> so revenues. Why do there. they get so much more of a tailwind off higher interest rates than a J.P. Morgan or a Wells Fargo? 
Bank of America has the stickiest, the stickiest deposits around, a trillion and a half, uh, really core deposits, operating deposits. And something many people forget is that deposit fees are at a 40-year low. So to some degree, you have a substitution effect of less fees and lower rates paid on deposits. And the other thing is, it's all the, the non-cash considerations for customers. I mean, being in all these geographies, with all these products, with all this distribution, with online bill pay and automatic deposit and uh, their chat buy and all the interactions which are at record levels. I mean, there's a convenience factor. So are you really going to move your $10,000 average balance to save $100 a year? Not so much. And so this is three decades in the making at Bank of America to create a such a durable, sustainable deposit franchise that can withstand a period of higher rates and actually benefit. In fact, they've grown deposits equal to the sixth largest bank over the last couple of years. There was no merger announcement or anything. It was organic. And now that spread is back. They finally get to monetize the value of those deposits. Now, that's revenues. Then you get to expenses, and that's the tech revolution at banks which Bank of America is just living every day and they're keeping their expenses under control. And then lastly, credit costs. I mean, this is not the global financial crisis. This is the opposite of it. Then it was like there was no fear and, you know, banks were shaky. Today there's tons of fear and banks are resilient and no bank has de-risked more than Bank of America in the last 10 to 15 years. So we think they're Credit costs will be contained. Their expenses will be under control at a time when their revenues grow. In fact, their revenues should grow at a time they're likely to reduce headcount uh, through a hiring freeze. Mike, really quickly, and, and again, maybe this is a bit too micro, but in early November, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield was about four and a quarter. And from to its lows in December, it went down about three and a half. During that time period, Bank of America really underperformed the broader group. It went down. I mean, so I'm talking about what you just said. It should do better in, in a higher rate environment, right? Like, but when, when rates went down precipitously, um, the stock really underperformed many of its large cap peers. You know, it's remarkable when you look at, bank, look at Bank of America's consensus estimates at the start of last year. They haven't really changed. It was simply derating from 11 to 12 times earnings down to eight times earnings on just fear, concern, you know, uh, we call re- re- recency <laughs> bias from the global financial crisis, even though it was 14, 15 years ago. So I think this year you get re-rating at least back to where they were before. And in fact, once you get through this recession, this is not in our ex- estimated upside of one half to two thirds for the stock this year. But when you get through the recession and you actually see the demonstrated resiliency of Bank of America, you could have a re-rating above historical levels as you realize that every dollar of earnings has a lot less risk. Thank you, regulators. Thank you, government, for requiring banks to be safer. And for all the criticism that Bank of America has gotten for leaving money on the table. You can talk to anyone who's worked at Bank of America. They wouldn't let us do this deal or that deal. It should, it's to their benefit in a time like now when you have slower economic growth. So thanks for being on, first of all. I always love your work. Um, I agree with you. Bank of America is my biggest bank position. But when you get to this upside of 50-plus percent, so you're getting there from net interest margin expansion without, without meaningful credit quality issues, but how much of that is the multiple expansion versus the earnings expansion? And, why, and do you think other banks will also get a multiple expansion? Yeah, we do think that Bank of America is the best example in the, in the industry. And I'd say, you know, roughly 
you know, half to two-thirds, that would be a re-rating simply back to something closer to normal, not even all the way More back. being to, like 10, 11? Or yes, close, okay. exactly. And then the rest of it is just good old earnings growth. I mean, talking about $10 billion in additional revenues, $2 billion in additional credit costs, which we have built in, and a billion of additional expenses. That's $7 billion of positive operating leverage. That's fantastic. It's some of the best in, in modern history. Um, but that's, look, U.S. Bancorp and PNC are our other two favorites. We think they'll also have that good growth of revenues over expenses. Uh, we also, those are some of the best credit uh, quality firms, too. U.S. Bancorp has the best bond rating out there. They, they earn mo- money through every quarter of the global financial crisis. Uh, by the way, bank, going back to Bank of America, they have the lowest level of loan losses under the Fed stress test. And PNC has always been a high-quality bank. During the global financial crisis, they got one of the best bank deals around because they were strong. So the common themes here for Bank of America, U.S. Bancorp, and PNC is that we expect all these stocks to increase by anywhere from 40 to 60 percent. We think estimates go higher in contrast to some of the discussions you were having before. We think that their net interest income or Main Street banking revenues continue to grow after fourth quarter. We think that their expenses are under control. No aha moment like you've had elsewhere. And we think they're near best in quality for the credit. So those are our three names that we're leading with. But a, a rising tide can lift a lot of ships. Mike Mayo, thank you very much. Good to hear from you, especially on the big call today of Wells Fargo. Let's trade it. Guy, your thoughts. I love Zach's work, and you're going to say it's Mike, not Zach, and I'm going to nod my head because that's what I do. And I'll say that, listen, I, Bank of America, I love his call. I just think it's going to, if it gets to those levels, the metrics that I look, price to book, price to tangible book, understanding that those numbers don't move dramatically, it's going to be expensive. I will say Goldman Sachs has been a name we've been on for quite some time. It's pulled back from 383. I think it's trading 345 now. I think Goldman Sachs in earnings is probably a great trade on the long side. We're already going to get into bank earnings, Bonwin, next Friday. They we kick are. off. My how time flies. How about and that? How about the call that estimates will go up in this I, environment? Well, I, I think estimates around credit loss can go up. I'm not going to make an umbrella statement that estimates for the entire banking sector. I think you look at a name like Capital One, which probably concerns me a bit more. When you look at the underlying thesis of why he likes this particular sector, it's because he's arguing that that credit loss and that contagion has been contained. And when you look there, you're dealing with a lower-end consumer, and I think that might be of some concern. Yeah. Well, when we come back, Alibaba, take a look, jumping 13% in today's trade. We're going to tell you why. Plus, one options trader thinks those outside gains are not done yet. Then it is a trader triple play, Meta, Gold Miners, and Etsy, all big winners today. But which one should you pick for the year ahead? Our traders will weigh in when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba soaring nearly 13 percent. Best day since June after its affiliate Ant Group won regulatory approval to raise one and a half billion dollars for its consumer finance unit. Alibaba is now up 65 percent since the October lows. If you weren't in it already, guys, is it too late to, to catch this run? October 24th, to be exact, for context, the stock traded down to 58 and changed that day, closed at 63 on about three times normal volume. We actually said on the show that night, here's your trading opportunity on the long side. It'll probably trade either side of 90 bucks. It obviously overshot. So to answer now your question, yeah, I think it's a little late. I mean, it doesn't mean it can't rally a little bit more here, but it will do a back and fill. 
because that's what we've seen at least five or six times since the all-time high on Halloween of 2020, if memory serves. The Ant decision got a lot of investors excited that maybe the regulatory crackdown on Chinese tech, which is always a wild card, mm-hmm. may be easing. They need to stimulate right. their economy. They're coming out of this COVID nightmare. Is it st- are these still are, are they good bets? I don't have. I did have Alibaba. I liked the ant story going back to then. Didn't work out. Lost money. I'm like, you know what? I don't need to make it back where I lost it. I think that unknown of, uh, you know, not just China's economy, but U.S.-China relations and stocks in the U.S. is problematic for me. So I don't own it cheap as it is. Right. Well, Alibaba also seeing a huge amount of options activity today. Mike Coe is joining us now with the action. Hi, Mike. What'd you see? Yeah, it was the fifth busiest single stock option today. It traded three times its average daily call volume. And the largest call options trade was the March 140, 150 call spread. We saw a buyer pay 83 cents a contract for 12,000 of those, an outlay of approximately a million bucks in premium. Trader betting, obviously, that this rally can continue. Should be pointed out, though, that they're risking a very small percentage of the current stock price. And it doesn't necessarily need to run through that 140 strike in the near term to see some profits. Just need to see that rally continue near term. Got it. Mike, thank you. For more options action, you can be sure to tune into the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still to come, a triple trader, a tra- trader triple play. Meta at C- Don't do this show that often. Meta and Etsy severely hit last year. Gold miners not doing nearly as badly, but could fortunes reverse themselves in 2023? We'll ask the traders. Fast Money, back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are back with a trader triple play, digging into three of today's big stock movers. Up first. Meta jumping 2%. Stiefel naming the stock a top pick for the year, saying that shares should rebound as user privacy concerns ease. Dan. Yeah, maybe they ease. I mean, this one, I got to tell you, if you took the name off, this guy likes to play this game, and you just looked at this chart, you'd say this is one of the best-looking charts in the entire market. If you look at it on, like, a a two-year basis, that sort of thing, it looks like it's consolidating here over the last few months. It looks like it's going to just explode. I'd probably want to wait and see what the full-year guidance is going to be when they report in a couple of weeks. And then on valuation and a whole host of metrics and things that they can control, like expenses, this could be a very unique story. We've talked about it a lot. I liked it after it imploded. We bought it. It had a big move. I'm out. I like it here-ish, but I want to wait until their earnings come out. It seemed like the street-viewed guy, the the whole financial discipline as a game-changer. Yeah, no, listen, that's what needed to happen. And, you know, you think about where the stock bottomed in the COVID, like the, the trough of COVID, and you think about how much it overshot to the downside. So it stands to reason we probably should go take a look at where we bottomed out a couple years ago. That would be 145, and I think that makes a lot of sense to Dan's point. I think they report either last week of January, first week of February. So I think you could probably stay with us on the long side into earnings, probably pull the ripcord at that level, 145, Sarah. All right. Next up, Etsy popping 3% today. The e-retailer getting upgraded to buy at Needham. The firm forecasting a rebound for the beaten down pandemic darling, citing strong customer retention. I feel like the market can't figure out whether this is a pandemic yes. stock or a secular right. growth drive. Like, is it Amazon? What do you do with well, Etsy? Well, it's it's different in that, I mean, the, the beauty of Etsy, the fantastic thing about the business model is how asset light it is, right? That's a great thing to be. So I don't know. I do still think of it as a pandemic darling, but, you know, they always cite in all of their uh, 
shareholder presentations, this sticky customer and how many times that customer comes back. So there's something there, but at this multiple, over 30 times, I just feel like you're paying too much for it. I love that asset light business, but I'm not willing to pay 30 times. Do you agree, Bonwin? Yeah, I'm with Karen. Asset light business, uh, sticky customer base. And I think the, you know, the bullish argument here is that you've seen multiple uh, compression, more so than earnings compression. But still, I mean, this company really struggled with that last release. And ultimately, being that I'd rather it than a producer of consumer goods, but you're still exposed to the consumer. And that's not really where I want to be in this cycle. Yeah. They're third-party sellers, I guess, is the point. That's a light. Finally, the gold miners melting up. GDX, that's the ETF that tracks the miners, surging more than 4% today. The move coming as the underlying commodity settled at its highest level in six months. As Bonwin, I think, pointed out earlier, Guy, you like the miners? The icebreaker's been on this. In a past life, you were a currency trader. I was a (laughs) commodity trader in a past life, and I'll tell you, that central banks have been buying gold in record amounts over the last year, and it's finally manifesting itself in the price of gold, but specifically now in some of these levered mining stocks. So the short answer is, I think we're just at the beginning of this move to the upside in gold mining stocks, Sarah. I I think it's just dollar weakness. Bonoan, what do you think? I couldn't agree more. I really think that this is a, a good hedge to your overall portfolio, and it's about time it's caught up. All right. Good. Thank you. Your, up next, <laughs> you guys are succinct. Your final trade coming up next on Fast Money. We'll be right back. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Guy. A joy having you here at Fast Money. <laughs> Goldman Sachs, Sarah Eisen. Bonoan. You know what? It's, it's come under pressure a bit. UNH, I'd start buying on weakness. Karen. Yes, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. We just all wanted to chat with you during the break. Um, My final trade, I'm going with Mike Mayo, who I love. I love to see him on here. Um, Bank of America. All right. 50% upside, you think? That's good. Dan? I got a lot of time here. (laughs) It was fun with Sarah, right? Thank me. Even though though you. No, it was fast money. We we laughed, we cried, we traded some stocks. Bang, so what? Um, You know, it's funny. That gold conversation is really interesting, and Guy has had a good call on this off the bottom here. I just wouldn't be chasing it right here. And I think your point about the dollar weakness, the dollar really feels like it wants to hold right here-ish. Yeah, I think it depends what the ECB does. Yes. But that's a conversation for another day. Right. We're out of time. Thank you all. This was a blast. Thanks, everyone, for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.